0: At the beginning of of the 60s, I was always a big fan of rock and roll, but also of soul music. I started as a rock and roll singer, and then I found the soul music, then changed to music producer. This everything is a wonderful mix to start your own music career. We were 22, 23 very naive Germans, French people, who never been in the United States, who hardly didn't speak English, who got this offer, you know? And I don't know if I would do it the same same way, but probably maybe I would.
1: We got the money, we signed the contract, no protection, naive, trusting the big guy with all the gold records on the wall. And that's it. That's all she wrote.
2: This is my real voice, Villy, part one. Let's go. Welcome to Fraudsters. I'm Cena Gazovay. We bring you the scams you love from the Fraudsters we hate. My co-hosts Ariel Lieti and Justin Williams are here. Hey, guys. How's it going?
3: It's going, Cena. I'll tell you what. How are you? How are you doing am, today?
2: Do you hear the baby? <laughs> There's a baby yeah. in the Infant that is potentially hungry in the background. But wow. no, the pod has to come first.
3: What would you do if your son was at home crying all alone on the bedroom floor because he's hungry? And... <laughs> The only way to be <laughs> I don't know if you even understand that reference. This is from my youth.
2: Is it? Um, it wasn't me.
3: No, no. Sorry, sorry. This was City High, Claudette Ortiz. <laughs> oh, look no, it up. I don't know this. Yeah. I don't know oh, this it's though. it's a classic. I'll send it to you. Okay, <laughs> it wasn't
4: me. <laughs>
5: What if, it was, what if your baby was laying on the bathroom floor? He <laughs> had no foot.
3: <laughs> I love that Isn't all that of your shaggy? accents are the same. <laughs> yeah, they're all just
5: Arnold's Jamaican Arnold Schwarzenegger is always my. That's and
3: that's answer. close. Yeah. You guys, do you really think you know the story of Millie Vanilli? You think watching behind the music twenty five years ago makes you an expert on Millie Vanilli? Well, strap in, because today we're uncovering the truth surrounding this lip sync fairy tale. We follow the story of Rob and Fab. One grew up in an orphanage in Germany, the other in his wealthy parents' house in Paris, much like where Justin is right now. We tell the story of one man who put it all together and the other groups he Frankenstein together. We tell the story of teen telemarketers whose song produced by a gas station attendant was stolen and turned into the number one song in the world. We tell the real story behind the time the track started skipping while they were performing live. And we detail the many, many, many artists that make up Millie Vanilli. And it's possible you know that one of the faces of Millie Vanilli is dead, but I bet you don't know which one. I barely do. It's the one with the dreads. Then they both have dreads. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. It's the one that was
5: in that scandal.
3: Yeah, exactly that. The story of Millie Vanilli starts, as many good stories do, in Nazi Germany during the first year of World War II. That year, Franz Ruther was born, but that name was way too Nazi sounding, so he changed it to Frank Farian, which I don't know. I, he's not fooling anyone. This musical journey started with a band he created in the 60s called Frankie ferrian and Die Schatten, German for the shadows. Again, not fooling anyone.
5: <laughs> I, 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 I heard Elvis died shot.
3: <laughs> oh no, Justin. Boo. Tomato, tomato, tomato. <laughs> they self produced an album. And sold it at gigs around Germany. It was a cover band that played soul songs, but that's the type of music Frank was drawn to other peoples. So that band enjoyed little success, as well they should considering they were a cover band. But Farian's star quality was obvious, and he quickly signed a recording contract as a solo artist. It didn't take long before he was pumping out covers of songs like Yakety Yak, Under the Boardwalk, and Otis Redding's Mr. Pitiful. He had some <laughs> originals too, like the German hit Dana oh, yeah, my, love, my, love. Oh, yeah, my Love. And the song Rocky, which was number one on the German charts.
0: Rocky, ich habe noch
3: then in the mid-70s, he transitioned to disco. The best, the brightest, we love it. I'm a big disco fan. Justin, do you like disco?
5: I'm I'm actually a huge disco fan. I always liked his version of the uh, Yakety Yak. It's like, Yakety Yak! I'm going to go to Skrug and Shine. Yakety Yak!
3: So he's Arnold Schwarzenegger. We got it. Great. We got it. I apologize to all of our German listeners. our German listeners are leaving the chat. (laughs) Uh, So Faria now changed his name and he's now calling himself Boney M. He named himself after an Australian TV show about Napoleon Bonaparte called Boney. He added the M because he thought it sounded nice and simple If he wanted simple, he could have just gone with BM, but whatever. And Farion would get the bowels moving with his first hit, a disco song called Baby, Do You Want to Bump, which was a repurposing of Prince Buster's Al Capone. But to me, it really just sounds like music to do cocaine, too, honestly. So here's the original. Classic disco. Classic disco. We're up all night. We're doing drugs. (laughs) Yeah.
4: That's
5: nice. Yeah, this sounds hard. Yeah, this. I was gonna say this sounds like African music. I like
4: it.
3: Oh, I love it. I'm adding this to the playlist. I have a playlist. Right? This
5: is like this is like a precursor to like Fela Kuti.
3: Yes. Yes, that's what I was thinking. Okay, so adding that to my playlist because it's a fun song. Okay, so now I'm going to listen yeah. to Boney M's Do You Want to Bump? Welcome to American
5: Bands. now we've got Bo- Do You Want to Bump, my Boney M. Do You Want to Bump?
3: I also like this. Can't stop me. Oh yeah. Well, yeah, it's pretty similar. It's not exactly the same, but it's similar. Mm. All the kids are doing it now. All the kids are sampling other songs. How can I be mad at Boney M?
5: Yeah, he did just take this dude's record.
2: Yeah. I mean, he took the he. Yeah, Yeah, man. It's more than just like the uh, couple verse sample, and uh, like yeah. did he like re- he didn't really like remix. He kind of just took the whole thing.
5: Yeah, yeah. there's an element of power relations too. If you're stealing from like a early post colonial African artist, that might not probably have the legal protections that a guy coming along in the 70s in Germany probably has.
2: What historical references could you possibly be referring to, <laughs> Justin?
5: <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, You know, you know, this guy probably saw this on TV or whatever. You know, the original artist is like, this is bullshit. <laughs> years and years later. Yeah.
3: The song got traction in the Netherlands. So Farron quickly put together a group to perform the song in the country. He picked two women who could sing and another man and woman who were more just to fill out the look of the group. The man in the group was Bobby Farrell. And despite the fact that he couldn't sing, he was now the lead.
5: Could be kissing it all. All I he mean, can do is cope moves. But is
3: he cute though? Then yes, put him in the front.
5: But he's like not cute. He's it's it's like it's also like he's disco cute. Like he's But that's what you know,
3: we want. That's what the girls want. Disco cute. He looks
5: looks
2: good shirtless.
3: And again, that's what the girlies want. And the girls and the gays ask for this. So he's giving, he's delivering. (laughs) It's funny because Liz,
2: Liz Mitchell's in this group too. She's, she did real vocals. She's the one who's doing a lot of real vocals in this thing too. I, you know, uh, Bobby is, is definitely uh, the, the, like, he's like Sly Stone without the talent. Mm.
3: Yeah. Okay. Okay.
2: Jumping around. He's literally
5: just, Yeah. yeah, he's almost like, yeah, he's, He's he's Flavor Flav, mm. but without with even less contribution to vocals.
2: Yeah, I think that's 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 more accurate.
3: But he's hot and shirtless, so yeah, yeah.
2: fun to do cocaine in a bathroom with. I'm
3: yes,
5: sure. yeah. I mean, the, the dance moves are impeccable,
3: though. Like, I, <laughs> yeah, I, I, like, I like the way idea. It's good. Yeah. So Bobby would only pretend to sing while the track featuring Farian's vocals would play in the speakers not to be outshone by even the women that did sing on the albums, he gave them no credit for singing at all on the albums. <laughs> Farian was quickly learning that he didn't have to share the credit as long as he was in charge. And the fact that the band was just a face for Farian, the solo artist, was an open secret, as it was one his ego didn't want hidden. And this type of ruse was fairly common among <laughs> disco groups.
5: And it's also something that's got to go forward of like... Um taking a woman's voice at cuz remember C&C f- Music Factory did this remember it was like yeah. a like a heftier gospel woman mm-hmm. that was saying that everybody dance now yeah. but they put like some skinny like model in the video yeah <laughs> and just like never gave her credit
3: damn we were we were out here being fucked up for a long long time and yeah. he was just taking advantage of it ugh So make no mistake, Boney M was a massive success. Between 1975 and 88, they had 38 top 10 hits in Germany with 15 singles reaching number one. Ah, God, I'll save you the names of the songs you have definitely not heard. So three of these songs are among the top selling singles of all time in the UK, which feature a female lead singer. A hit that still lingers in the TikTok algorithm is Rasputin, <laughs> was Rasputin, a sexy song about this sexy Russian czar who is also a great lover.
2: This is my favorite. I blasted this song this so song much. This song fucking this is incredible.
3: rocks. Dudes this,
2: rock. Play this. This song is everything to me.
3: I love this song.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, I also just like a, it's like a tribute to
5: probably one of the what, top five craziest people that's ever walked the planet (laughs) out.
3: But that tracks for Vody M. (laughs) Yeah.
2: (laughs) I'm surprised they didn't do, like, a Genghis Khan track, but, like... (laughs) (laughs)
4: Yeah.
3: I mean, the video fucking slaps. Come on. I would wear that today.
2: This... Yeah, this feels like a Bushwick art party that I was at in two- 2011. Yep. Uh, yeah. I, you could still buy drugs from a stranger at the club then. You could yeah. do that. Uh, yeah, before the, the, before before the fentanyl it. hit the streets. Oh, true. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, know. Ariel, come on. What are you doing? I hope you're bringing testing drugs. strips wherever doing you drugs. go. I'm and okay. Testing strips. You're not doing a loose nothing. Yeah. <laughs> <I don't laughs> no, no, yeah, give me a loose ecstasy. <laughs> yeah, Give me a loose <laughs> ecstasy.
3: How much yeah. will that be?
4: <laughs> <laughs> this is
5: yo, I need to see the reviews on your Amazon account.
2: Yeah. <laughs> anything. Yeah, what's the Yelp on this guy? Okay. That song is and that song, it's it's amazing. It's like that was they remixed it and that's how it ended up on like some djs remixed it, and that's how it ended up on tiktok but you then you you learn about the original you're like oh my god Th- these people just, get nothing i mean
3: when we decided to do millie Vanilli, i was pleasantly surprised that we also had like a bony m coat like it's worlds collide yeah. this is so great for yeah. me all the things that i love very much
5: But but it like makes it this is like this weird thing of like this is like the proto black Europe. Mm. So I think it was just like if you were one of the four like black dudes in Europe during this period, you had to like you had to have like a hit record.
3: Or else they would kick you out.
5: Or You know what I mean? It's like, of course, there's a tie in. It's like how many like there weren't that many black people in Europe at this point. It's true.
3: All three of them were in Boney M.
5: Yeah. And and they're either linked to, it's like either like early wave immigrants or like side babies of, you know, some guy that was stationed out in
3: Hamburg. <laughs> <laughs> Hamburger. <laughs> That's for me. Um, the band sputtered out in the 80s. He left at one point due to a contract dispute and he was replaced, but then later came back. Boney M. officially called it quits in 1986, and singer Liz Mitchell said that the band received less than 10% of the profits of their music, the rest going to the label and to Farian. I mean, no harm, no foul, right? Yeah.
2: This is like a classic music industry problem where they give the advance and then you have to pay the advance back. Based on uh, album sales, and they take uh, expenses out for like studio time, tours, and stuff like that. It, it, it inherently the music industry, which is why when Napster and all those things popped up, they just collapsed because there's no there was just the whole industry was scam. It was just built on scam, scamming yeah. artists. Yeah.
3: Even now, they try to find a way. There's ways. Now it's just TikTok, TikTok music.
2: Yeah. Now. Now the labels are hiring like uh click farms to like spin Spotify mm. records so that they juice the numbers which guys I've been trying to find for our show I can't do it.
4: Yeah.
2: That's if not you me
5: copying the show. Infant. <laughs> please click on the show, you know, on uh Spotify to the listeners and if you're ever on Apple Music or iTunes, check out Justin Williams America's Little Cutie Baby. Uh if you want to click on that like
3: one million times. That would be really nice. <laughs> <laughs> I might just I might just let it play over and over again. Here's Frank Perrion reflecting on his career.
0: In the beginning of, of the 60s, I was always a big fan of rock and roll, but also of soul music. I started as a rock and roll singer, and then I found the soul music, then changed to a music producer. This everything is a wonderful mix to start your own music career. Bonnie M is magic. Daddy Cool stays for Bonnie M. And it changed my whole life. This, Marcia, Bobby, we were a unit, a special unit. And we came together just like that. So, and it, it changed my life. It was all the time a wonderful work. People coming after so many, many years. Our music is evergreen. Uh, So, you know what's interesting there?
2: um, Bit of a red flag. When you say something changed your life and you have no specific details of anything that happened. Just said we came together and then it changed my life.
3: I think that the major yeah. red flag whip for me was that he sounded like when you do a German accent, Cena. He sounded oh, yeah. like <laughs> I'm sure people are going to be listening to this and being confused. Like, is Cena being funny right now?
2: <laughs> you know, when the, the, I got together with the M, yeah, we were like a magic, like a magic show. <laughs> uh, like my cousin, Siegfried and Roy, uh, God bless the boss. Uh, we we came and we made a disco <laughs> magic. A magic sandwich, and I was in the middle. (laughs) Disco magic sandwich, yes. That's
3: the name of our album. Yeah, that
2: really is true. Wow. I know. Thank God. I feel so seen. (laughs) I'm scared.
3: (laughs) So clearly, with Boney M, Farian had everything figured out. I mean, a band is what you say it is. You record the best voices. You use the best musicians. And performing was left up to those who are best at that, too. They don't all need to be the same person. When your band relies on one person to do it all, you rarely have any staying power. One drug overdose or plane crash, and the brand you built is all over. But Boney M. actually still plays today in various forms. I love "Sunny." It's one of my favorite songs. Um, and the rights to the name have been passed around, and there's no telling you who would actually be at the concert. But we still want to go. We're still looking for Boney M. tickets. If anyone has any information on the whereabouts of the current iteration of Boney M., please let us know.
5: <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like I was like uh, when uh, a lot of my favorite soul groups they split up or had legal disputes, so it'd be like watch. The Temptations featuring, like, the one surviving there yeah. And then it's like, the, then there's the new Temptations with just, like, tw- three 20-year-olds that are children of the guys. And it's like, then they have a legal dispute and it's like, the new, new, real, real, original Temptations. <laughs> we promise. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's just like four different Temptations groups touring the country at any one point.
3: Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, well... Not only that, if the performers are marginalized, then there's less confusion about who's in control and who gets the money. Boney M was Cirque du Soleil, a traveling circus of whatever performers would do the job for a set paycheck no matter how dangerous the environment. Around the time of the implosion of Boney M, another musical union was forming. Rob Pilatus and Fab Moravan were fast becoming friends in Munich, Germany. When they met at a Munich dance school in 1984, Fab was initially put off by Rob, nicknaming him Star and teasing him by confronting him one day and asking, Hey Star, how's it going? These were maybe not the most clever men, but they certainly had interesting backgrounds.
5: Hey, star. Hey,
3: <laughs> how's it going, star? <laughs> like that's you, not even th- an insult. Thank you. <laughs> you think I'm a star? You think,
5: you think you're going to be someone? <laughs> 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 you think you're going to make it out of poverty, huh, star?
4: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
5: oh, you'll have three. Oh,
4: how
2: cute. <laughs>
3: I just want to fact check really quick. This should all be done in a French accent, not a German. Wow. Oh,
2: wow!
5: Okay, keep all that in. Yeah. Or oh, do you think that this is very funny? <laughs> do you think you're a star?
3: You think it is star? But, but
5: it's a star? Perhaps perhaps you grew up a little bit uh, pauvre uh, (laughs) with two poles. uh,
3: (laughs) This is not going to be a rags-to-riches story. You star in the gutter (laughs) in the trash. (laughs) You know,
5: it's constellation you will be. You'll be the big dipper because you will dip into nothingness as you die.
3: (laughs) I guess that's French.
5: I gotta gotta smoke a cigarette. Yeah,
3: And you're wearing a striped shirt, so it's you're basically yeah. French. We just got to get you a beret.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: So Rob Pilatus was born in New York City in 1965 to a white German stripper and an American serviceman. <laughs> Children. There's nothing funny about that. <laughs> this, these are just, what would you do if your son was at home <laughs> crying all alone? It just always comes back to city high.
2: I support our troops. Yeah, <laughs> support our I was going to say, exactly. that's, that was tender for the 60s. Yeah, <laughs> I <just>
3: 100%. <laughs> I mean, children born to sex workers, knocked up by sailors on shore leave, rarely end up with a good childhood. And Rob's was terrible. Upon his birth, he was taken back to Bavaria, Germany as an infant and spent his first four years in an orphanage before being adopted by a white German family. There are conflicting reports about whether he was actually born in New York or Germany, and it would make more sense if it was Germany. But we cannot say for sure.
5: That's like a sad uh, thing. That tells you how few Black people there are in Europe. It's like if you have like a mixed race baby, you have to just like give it up for adoption. And this is like what? What was this like late sixties? Well, yeah,
3: yeah. But was it was yeah. it that, or was it that just like the American servicemen left, and then the stripper mom couldn't afford this lifestyle?
5: I think it's probably both. It's like, what are you going to do? like? You know, it's like your 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 extended family's not on board with this. It
2: was a question that we asked, uh, and we couldn't find an answer because I did want to know. I mean, you know, like what what how did he get adopted? What 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 was the turning point? But you know, yeah, yeah. it's tough to find that stuff out. Mm.
3: Fab actually had the opposite start in life. He was born in Paris in 1966 to a pharmacist mother and an international architect father. Mm -hmm. So Rob certainly had it tougher than Fab. Rob remembers being surrounded by white kids and being called Kunta Kinte in school. Oh, Jesus. Bullies dropped him in trash cans and students would pay him to touch his hair.
2: Hey, I can relate. I got thrown in trash cans.
3: Oh, I thought someone was paying you to touch your hair. People yeah, we were just doing that for
2: free. They were just touching they, my hair. No, it was I actually didn't I didn't really know how bad the the hair touching thing was until I was much older.
3: Yeah, not great. Same. This treatment led to intense loneliness that was only lifted when Michael Jackson became popular in Germany. Finally, Rob thought, a cool black guy. Rob ran uh, away. <laughs>
2: how'd that work out for you? how that worked uh, out for you?
3: He eventually was no longer a cool black guy, but a cool <laughs> white woman. And Rob ran away. <laughs>
5: ran, <laughs> a, a ghoul. A ghoul uh, yeah, more woman. of
3: a ghoul. Not even a woman, I wouldn't say. So Rob mm-hmm. ran away from home at 14, intent on chiseling out a place for himself and show business. Uh, he was actually a pretty good soccer player and was possibly scouted by the German team FC Bayern. It was actually while playing pickup soccer that he made connections with some Afarian session musicians. He also joined a breakdancing crew called the bionic dance crew and even performed in New York at the swatch watch world breakdance championship. Wow. So despite the fact that rich boy Fab had gotten a better start in life, he too had his struggles when he moved to Germany at 18 to teach at the dance school. So upon arriving in Munich, he realized he had lost his suitcase and money and was forced to spend days sleeping in the train station. He don't know Damn. struggle. That was, that's his first brush with struggle. Yeah. But they eventually realized that alone, they were just hot black guys in Germany. But together, they were a spectacle. They moved in together and began dancing at a club called P1. Rob will get a taste of the spotlight first when he pretended to play guitar for the group Wind during the 1987 Eurovision Song Contest. They took second place. And after Rob's (laughs) success as a fake musician, he and Fab turned their attention to music, or at least like looking good near where music was playing. Their first stop on the road to musical infamy was the salon. After watching a Christmas special about the pop icons, they realized that one thing that Marilyn Monroe, Bob Marley, and Elvis had in common was instantly recognizable hair. And since they didn't have the time to let dreadlocks grow naturally, they decided to get matching hair extensions. So a lot of musicians start out with guitar lessons. Rob and Fav were taking the HOV lane to fame.
2: Guys, I wanted to bring this up. I think the show is missing something.
3: Should I change my hair?
2: I think we all should get the same hair.
5: Oh. Let's all get extensions for our San Diego show. Tickets are on sale now if you want to see us uh, at the Balboa Theater in San Diego, California. Mm -hmm. We'll be there on October 20th. We will wear matching hair extensions on stage we'll get extensions and then fly out together we'll get the same hair if you if you uh, send us uh, messages on Instagram there we
2: go
3: should we all get dreads? no you know what we should Did do? You... we should all get like Tyler Perry wigs
2: ooh yeah. like those yeah.
3: bad wigs that go like cornrows that go down to kind of the middle of your forehead <laughs> and it just all <laughs> looks wrong that's what I want.
5: I want I want like a Cat Williams perm mm.
3: Um, we, that like could be a very luxurious. Yes. Yeah. And then sweat it out on stage. <laughs> yeah.
5: <laughs> it's good to be here in San Diego. A lot of players in the audience. <laughs> I'm here to say. Stupid.
3: <laughs> <laughs> so here's a clip from an interview with Fab on Music Express, a Dutch YouTube show from 2018 on how he met Rob.
1: Rob and I met in uh, in Munich, Germany. Just, you know, frequenting the same places, same clubs, dating the same girls. (laughs) Wait, what? And then after a while, you know, you you think, well, if you can't beat him, join him. And then by joining forces, we we became stronger and um, music is what we wanted to do. We had the same dreams when it came to music and our career and our lives and aspiration. And how we wanted to live our lives, and we love sport. So it was playing soccer in the afternoon and music whole day. He played guitar. I sang. We sang together. We did harmonies. He used to play guitar because he used to, um, to sing. His sister used to be an Elvis impersonator. So he, he knew all the, a lot of Elvis songs. There's so many parts of that are creepy.
3: Yeah, I also feel yeah. like he's lying.
2: <laughs> we would Take write your music pick at together, which part all of we, it. We jam out.
3: You, you famously got caught for not being singers or musicians. I don't think you were doing any of the stuff that you said you were doing. What?
5: Yeah, and those dreadlocks totally come off.
3: Of yeah, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the dreadlocks right hat combo is crazy.
5: <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I. The, I just, you know, it's like to me, it's like the way like my angle on this is like when you're like the two kind of like hip biracial guys in like this period in Europe. Like when they say dating the same girls Mm. and stuff, like it's like there's like there's kind of like a there's kind of like a dark undertone of kind of fetishism Mm. to this in Europe where it's like you just find the two biracial guys in the club and they get to be just like pop stars. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They get to be sex symbols, pop. they were good looking in their like defense. Yeah, they were cute. Uh, no, they were well. cute. Yeah, they, yeah, they were good looking guys. But but it's it is like kind of like a kind of a like Europe's like, we're into all this American stuff, but we don't have access to the populations that are producing it. So we'll kind of like, you know.
3: He's somehow exuding fuckboy vibes yeah. as a
2: 60-year-old man. Is it the denim on denim?
3: It's the denim on denim, yeah. it's the the Hack Dreds combo. It's the shades indoors. It's just all very dastardly.
5: But he is like a proto-hipster. That's also like what... It's like he's a club kid. Yeah. It's like this guy comes from like the clubs of like Berlin.
3: Yeah. At the clubs, Robin Fab met a secretary at a studio who told her producer boss about two dancers who wanted to sing. A meeting was set and the producer, Werner Schuler instantly recognize where their talents lied and signed them here's what Werner Schuler had to say about them quote there are dancers and singers both Robin Fab wanted to do both which made things a little more difficult I have to say they danced wonderfully I realized singing wasn't really their strength but it was doable
4: <laughs> <laughs>
3: they named their group Empire Bazaar and set out to make some music So they released their first single called Dance, which technically, I'm sure, featured some of their vocals somewhere. However, throughout the production, Rob and Fab's voices were supplemented with backup singers. Okay, so that's the story of how our three main characters in this fraud got their start. And nothing left to do but for them to meet and make musical history and fraudster infamy. But how exactly did it all come together? Through one original sin. after the flame out of bony m frank farian was suffering from burnout and started hanging out in nightclubs around frankfurt especially the funkadelic which was an expat basement club filled with american military of the club Ferian said quote you entered that basement and you felt like you were in America in a basement somewhere in New York
5: <laughs> there's like, cuz it's just like pissing
3: there <laughs> there's two black guys i'm basically in New York
2: well par- <laughs> uh, <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> it's New York it's baby
3: like Harlem <laughs> Harlem stand up <laughs> <laughs> While partying one night, the DJ tells about a new great record from America by a group named New Marks, a song called Girl, You Know It's True. and loved the song, but thought the production was lacking. So he took the song and basically used it as a demo and built it out with added vocals and synthesizers. Here is the original. I'm
4: in love, girl. I'm so in love, girl. I'm just in love, girl. This is true.
5: yeah, that's crazy to take that record because that's like taking the whole record. yeah,
3: again. he took it. He,
5: it's not it's not that much like different. no,
3: it's not. He then employed some American studio singers in Germany to redo the vocals. a lot of them, actually. One of the singers that would become one of the leads was Brad Howell, an American who toured the world with a number of bands. He liked Germany so much that after visiting the country with Wilson Pickett, he just stayed. And the other lead vocalist was John Davis he had come to Germany in the army and also decided to stay. So both Brad Howell and John Davis would be brought back to record again and again. In some ways, Brad and John are really Millie Vanilli. Oh, and there's one more real Milli Vanilli member. For the rapping parts, he bought in another army expat, Charles Shaw. No relation to the three buck Chuck superhero, Charles Shaw. This Charles Shaw was just an 18-year-old rapper at the time, and he recorded the first tracks for Farian. So Shaw would later say he earned $12,000 for this session. Um. But that wasn't it. Twins Linda and Jody Rocco had been successful backup singers in Europe, and they were tasked with adding the vocals to this track, which took them a total of 20 minutes. So Farian had everything in place except for the rights to the song. and Maybe he could have gotten away with it if it hadn't turned into such a mega hit, but it did. And New Marks, the hip-hop group from Baltimore that wrote the song, found out. The members had met at a call center selling timeshares, and they also probably would have gotten away with it even then if one of the members hadn't been future industry titan Kevin KG Lyles, who went on to become the president of Def Jam (laughs) among his other accolades.
5: One of the most powerful people in the music industry.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I'm glad I didn't get a call from him about a timeshare. Lord knows I probably still have it by now.
3: (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you definitely would, for sure. Yeah.
2: yeah,
5: <laughs> And also, they they, they should be glad that it's, like, somebody who had succeeded enough in business. Like, I would never want to rip off a Baltimore rapper song. Yeah. Like, their biggest yeah. hit and then make a bunch of money off of it. That, I felt like that
3: would have a lot different. Not now, no.
5: This wouldn't be fraudsters. It would be like, that time Germany got shot up.
3: In the <laughs> 80s. <laughs> <laughs> so... Girl, You Know It's True had become a modest hit around the DMV and Philly, but modest only means about 8,000 copies were sold. The so Lyles had said the song was written when he was 15 or 16 and was itself a take on an Ella Cool J song, I Need Love. Mm-hmm.
5: When I look at my room, my bird on the wall, I touch, I touch, I touch my and see dun, my conscience call. We could just sing it to I you. Dun, I see the dove, and when I wonder to myself, dun, I know I dove, that she I stare was at the wall, and in the back of my mind, I hear my conscience call, telling me I need a girl who's as sweet as a dove. For the first time in my life, I see
4: I need love.
3: Thank- Shortly after its release, Newmarks' label informed the group that a German company called Cool Tempo Records had picked up the song and that other labels were trying to put it out. Six months after the song's release in the States, the group found out that Farian had stolen their song, just fully stolen, because we did listen to it and it's pretty much the same. The producer of Newmark's version, Bill Petaway, remembers still working at a gas station a year after the song's release and hearing Farian's version on the radio thinking, they had the same idea I had. And then realizing, wait, that sounds pretty close to everything I did. An 18 year old Kevin Lyles. What then a bad went, day. Right. What a like, really bad thinking day. Thinking like, wow, okay. I had a good idea. And then, wait a minute, someone oh, stole my no. shit. Oh, no.
5: <laughs> yeah.
3: So, an 18 year old Kevin Lyles then went about suing the people who had stolen their song. So, by 1989, they had won their legal battle and started receiving their windfall of royalties.
2: Before you get to the clip, this is like a great note. The same thing with like Boney M and Liz Mitchell. Like they like didn't get any of the money. Like you need a lawyer.
4: Yeah, A lawyer is the only yeah.
2: reason that Kevin Lyles is getting all this money. It's the only reason any of this stuff is ever happening. Lawyers, are, they this country was built on lawyers and built so that only lawyers know how to run the country. And you just need one to like, or else you're just going to get hosed on stuff like this. You so need, true. you just you need know. it. You need it.
3: You just need them. When the first Milli Vanilli album was released in Europe, similar to Boney M, it was just a name because Robin Fab hadn't been brought in yet. So Milli was the nickname of Farian's girlfriend, Ingrid, and then he added Vanilli because it sounded good, I guess. It was cute, really Vanilli. So once the album hit the charts in the UK, Farian decided he needed a way to promote it better and need some cool faces for the project. This album was a hit and it needed a way to turn this project into a lasting group. So a month after its release in Germany, it had sold a million copies, which is so much more in Germany than it is in America.
5: No, I mean, for context, though, if you sell a million copies anywhere, that's a big deal then. But yeah, like when you do, you know, segments of population, that means like this is a huge record in Germany.
3: So of the various accounts of how Farian came to meet Robin Fab, the true story is probably that Robin Fab came to him asking for some work sometime in 1988. It was Ingrid who suggested they would be good as a front for Milli Vanilli as the singers of Girl You Know It's True. A deal was made and the duo were given an advance of $4,000. Since they were broke at the time, the money went out as quickly as it had once come in. But later when they found out they weren't going to sing, they wanted out. And Farian is a reasonable man. So he said, as long as they paid back the advance, they can get out of their contract. Alas, the money was already gone, and so were their chances to back out of this fast-moving project.
2: This is how... This is, this is where we get to the vulnerable people here are actually Rob and Fab. Yeah. That got taken advantage of by Farium, And this whole time, this in, for decades... We thought Rob and Fab were just two greedy guys that got a bunch of money and got rich off this song. But really, they were just broke guys that were in a vulnerable position that got taken advantage of, which is so weird. I mean, you got to have a little bit of greed inside of you to, like, get go down this road in the first place to even be a front man and, like, I don't know, maybe find a better girlfriend. He you know, wanted
3: to a be a star. Story. Wanted to be
2: a but star. You're, you're sleeping in the Rob train station. Fab, you're going to be amazing. I'm going to make you a superstar.
5: It's tough times. You have. It's like you have to just room with the other biracial guy. And
3: you're <laughs> the only <laughs> other.
5: <laughs> the girlfriend
3: doesn't. <laughs> Can't do it. Never mind.
5: You have to share girlfriends. makes
3: <laughs> <it's> tough times. <laughs> They're rationing girlfriends now? What's going yeah. on?
1: Yeah. Yeah.
3: <sighs> Well, here is a clip of Fab talking about working with Farian.
1: I'm not sure if many people know this, but Girl, You Know It's True is actually a cover from the group Newmarks. Did you know this version yourself before? Yeah, yeah, I knew that Newmark, I knew Newmark was a cover. I found that out a lot later. At first, I didn't know it because I didn't know exactly what was going on in the studio with Frank Farian because they had that like on lockdown. You know, we came in afterwards not knowing that everything was... That part was already moving on its own with staff and producers and people recording. As a matter of fact, some of the people that recorded their vocals to the Know is True were recording by themselves. And then another guy would come in and say, but I know that voice. And, you know, Frank would be like, no, 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 don't worry about it. Just and, but they thought that it was, was going to be a project that they would be part of in the future. But it didn't turn out to be that. You know, so they were tricked as well. Oh yeah, everybody was tricked. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, you know, I've, I've told the story. So how did it work? Frank finished the song and then he showed it to you guys. No, no, no. First we heard uh, an instrumental and uh, we thought we were going to be part of that, but it was not the case. And because we received advanced money, very little amount of money, when the time came for us to want to record those songs, and they said no and we said no then and then they said well give us the money back and we said oh oh, we can't pay you back okay so what do we do well we work we pay you back and then we get out but we didn't know that we, a, we, we signed a contract for three albums because when we signed the contract there was no attorney there was no manager there was nobody that was there to protect us so when if we had a management and attorney they would have said no 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 okay let them sing first give them a chance because he never gives give us a chance give them the chance and if they don't then they'll pay you back money and then they get out but it was not like that we got the money we signed a contract no protection naive trusting the big guy with all the gold records on the wall and that's it that's
0: all she wrote <laughs>
3: I love that he's fake American now.
2: (laughs)
0: Yeah, you could give me the money back. It's going to be great.
3: (laughs) The L.A. hat. It's all she wrote. And in the beginning when he asked the question and he answered it, he didn't really have a French accent. So I'm like, I wonder if he he's not faking his accent, but he kind of goes in and out. I find it interesting.
5: I wonder where's he been living? living He's an international man.
3: Yeah, he's international. Don't ask too many questions, Justin. (laughs) so rob would later say that at the time he thought it was a sort of development deal he thought they would lip-sync for this already produced album and then sing on future recordings so they immediately went on tour throughout the late summer and fall of 1988 the song originally flopped in the uk so knowing the cool english influencers loved to vacation in ibiza they sent rob and fab to promote the song in ibiza clubs it worked the song eventually reached number two in the UK. And by August, it was number one in Germany. In November, the album was released in Europe, which allowed it to reach the ears of the American record producers looking to make money off of an international hit, namely Clive Davis of Arista Records. Davis liked that it had an international sensibility and a true crossover potential since it wasn't a purist hip hop like someone like MC Hammer or LL Cool J, which must have sounded like gangster rap at the time. But Arista signed on to release the album in the U.S. and tweaked the title and added a couple of new tracks to help with American audiences, including the Diane Warren penned Blame It on the Rain. Diane Warren, if you've never heard of her, a hugely successful songwriter. She's one Tony away from an EGOT, and she's been nominated for 14 Oscars, 14 Grammys. She's got nine number one singles, including Rhythm of the Night. Nothing's gonna stop us now. If I could turn back time If
4: I could turn back time
3: Here back and find a way Unbreak my heart Unbreak my heart Unbreak my heart
4: Say you love me again
3: Because you loved me How do I live? How do I you? And I don't want to miss a thing. I mean, Diane.
5: Wow. wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, she's like, she's as Lionel Richie. You could, you know, call her out the <sighs> bullpen. And she's like, I got this number one single.
3: These are all of my favorite karaoke songs, you guys. 100%. She has done it. I want to do a Diane Warren night at karaoke.
5: Oh, that's a good idea. We should do. Yeah, you do do Diane Warren. I'll be Rod Temperton.
3: (laughs) Okay, great. That's next.
5: (laughs) Yeah, I'll be Rod Temperton. I'll do only the Rod Temperton songs.
3: So I think it's important to note how fast this project was moving. Okay, Their first single was written by telemarketers and produced by a gas station attendant who was only 18 years old. And their second single on the same album, by the way, was written by arguably the most successful non-performing songwriter in history. (laughs) If the label knew about the ruse, and how could they not... They were not going to kill the golden goose, okay? After Rob and Fab were added to the project, there were still more songs to record before the American version of the album was complete. So they hit the studio hard. Or at least they stayed very close to the studio hard. And every day they would travel to the studio to keep up appearances, but spend most of their time hanging out by the pool. (laughs) My ex used to do that. He used to say he was working and he didn't have a job, so he would leave for the day. He would leave <laughs> for the day and then come back. <laughs> like he was at work all day? Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Trauma.
5: How did you find out he didn't have a job eventually? Mm,
3: there was no money.
4: <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Couldn't pay your branch?
3: There was no money coming in. Uh, incredible. Uh, was he
2: really fit? Was he like in good shape because he went no. to the gym or no? No, was I don't know what he was doing.
3: He was probably doing drugs. Anyway, after the staff left at <laughs> night, Brad Howell would be brought in to do the real work of recording the vocals. Clive Davis attempted to send his A&R guy to oversee recordings and make sure the music was headed in a direction that Arista liked. But obviously, Faryon couldn't allow that. So he stood his ground and barred the label from witnessing recordings. Oh, my God. They got away with it.
2: Beige flag, red flag. Huge red flag. flag. Six flags. Nobody could witness
3: these recordings. They have to work in complete (laughs) silence and no one could be around. They can't have eyes on them. What do you... Come on, my guy.
5: I like the idea of telling Clive Davis, super producer, who's working with like Whitney Houston and everybody, it's like... No, you can't come in and see this. <laughs> yeah, You can't come in. Yeah, it's like,
3: yeah. <laughs> uh, they got away with it because producers and artists often want to keep creative professional distance from their label. The label is just a bunch of suits and we're artists, baby. OK, so in January of 1989, the single for Girl You Know It's True entered the Billboard charts at a ripe 83. The full album, also called Girl You Know It's True, was released in March. And by the end of March, the single reached number two on the chart. Throughout the year, the album would produce number one songs from its next three singles. So Girl You Know It's True, hit number two. Blame It on the Rain, number one. Girl, I'm Gonna Miss You, number one. Baby, Don't Forget My Number, number one. And All or Nothing, which hit number four.
2: It's so much money. Yeah, this is yeah. so. They're much swimming. Money.
3: Scrooge McDuck style in money.
5: Yeah, they're selling singles. Yeah, you got, you got to remember they're selling, oh, yeah. you know, 45s yeah. and cassettes of just individual records. Oh, and then the whole God. record. Oh my God. Money City.
3: <sighs> the album was dominant throughout 1989, spending seven weeks at number one, tied with the Fine Young Cannibals for the longest time at the top of the charts for the year. This happened despite how fucking weird the story is. It's not like there was one revelation and everyone was like, no way. I mean, believing these two sang the songs was an exercise in willful ignorance. As soon as Rob and Fab started doing interviews, it was obvious that there was a big difference between their soulful American-accented singing voice and their thick speaking accents punctuated with broken English. Rob had a thick German accent and Fab had a thick French accent. This is exactly what happened to Iggy Azalea. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs)
5: <laughs>
3: no money, no family. 16 in the middle of Miami, no money. Yeah, anyway, so this is me. What are you talking about? God.
5: Uh, She's okay to look at them. All right,
2: move on.
3: <laughs> <laughs> she is pretty. So we heard from Fab, okay, we heard from Fab earlier, but just to paint you a picture, here's what Rob sounded like in 1993. Here's an interview after the scandal that we'll get to, answering the question, would you do everything differently?
0: We were 22, 23, very naive Germans, French people, who never been in the United States, who hardly didn't speak English, who got this offer, you know? And I don't know if I would do it the same same way, but probably maybe I would. Okay. Yeah.
3: Why does everybody like? Is German just a goofy-sounding accent? Because it just sounds so silly. <laughs> yeah, you know, we do it different. We do it different. You know, I think this it's show because. Airs in Europe. I know, but yeah. I, you know what? I, I think know. it's because. I, Honestly, truly, it's because of Gold Member. I cannot oh, stop. Oh, you to you're me, just locked in. To me, it's like, I love gold. It just sounds <laughs> so silly. And yeah, if you guys want to cancel me for that, that's fine. <laughs> so if even if you subscribe to the theory that anyone could sing without an accent, even if they can't speak without one, this theory crumbles when you consider they were also rapping with no accent. That's so much harder to do. So couple that with the fact that almost immediately after Rob and Fab were hired to be the face of the group, Charles Shaw, the real rapper, began speaking openly in the press about how he was the real rapper. He was just much younger than the singers who had been employed at studio musicians for years. The industry veterans knew how the game was played, and that music wasn't about giving everyone equal credit. It was about telling a great story.
2: Uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> it was just like... We, they're just like, they open the newspaper and the real rappers in there are like, oh man, talking
3: shit, just, being uh, an 18 oh year old little shithead. Like, that's me rapping on there. What are you talking about? It's me. It's me. But I guess they didn't like back then they weren't really doing NDAs and stuff. I guess mm-hmm. they weren't smart about covering their tracks really.
5: <sighs> well, you do, well, you're trying to also get your career going. You do this thing for 12000 And you're like, whatever, I rap for $12,000. But then when you see it become a multi, multi, multi-million dollar thing, then you're like, hey, uh, y'all, I can can rap for more than $12,000.
3: Pass me some more cash, please.
4: Yeah.
3: But like so many of these stories, all they had to do was give more money to shut him up. In an interview, Shaw said, he paid me for my studio work, but did not pay me to give my voice to two other guys that make millions on it. And as the group continued to blow up, Rob and Fab felt the ju- juxtaposition. As the group continued to blow up, Rob and Fab felt the juxtaposition of the rock star lifestyle and being trapped in a lie with no control. And since they didn't share a brain, their experiences and feelings toward the ruse were different. So Fab felt the pain of the lie much deeper than Rob. Perhaps it had something to do with the fact that Rob had been abandoned by his parents, and his first memories of being alone were in an orphanage. Fab had grown up wealthy with two loving parents and reality to him was much more of a comfort. Rob knew how cruel the world could be and most of his problems didn't come with international adoration and piles of money. Fab would later call it like being in a, quote, golden prison. Here's a clip of Fab from the Music Express interview talking about performing, quote, unquote, live.
1: It must have been quite scary to go on stage each time, especially with live television no because in europe everything was playback you know for years you a lot of even american acts who came to europe none of the studios were built for live performances so it was playback you know until in europe it was normal for people and i found out later that a lot of during the 80s a lot of um because you know this generation from back in the days didn't have youtube the kids of today speak much better english than the people from yesterday the world has changed. So back then they used to have European people and then have Americans record. A lot of European producers did that. I didn't know that. I find out that oh, there was not it didn't happen to us but you know, with us it was not willing, but there was some some plans where there were teams that were saying, Okay, I pay you this amount of money, blah blah blah. You know, but we you know, we became very successful not knowing that it would ever go like that we thought okay we do one record we pay the money back and then we're out but then success success came and um yeah
5: i don't know the degree to it i mean like yes i'm sure some people had lip syncing factories but there were also like i think a good counterpoint to this because what's also happening at the same time is like black britain is taking off where there actually is a bigger black population and like Soul to soul and loose ends are singing and performing all of their music. (laughs) Yeah.
2: yeah. Also, there's no reason why they couldn't have like lawyered up or got some representation to help them after things popped off. You know what I mean? Like the gold prison thing is is really just a lie you're telling yourself at that point.
3: Yeah. I mean,
5: yeah. When it all goes back. Like, yeah. It's like, did you think it's a gold prison if it wouldn't have went bad?
2: Yeah.
3: They were focused on a pivot to singing their own songs. Can you believe it? (laughs) They still believe that if they were this popular, there would be nothing stopping them from achieving their OG dreams. By July, Robin Fab requested to stop doing interviews after suspicions about their thick accents cropped up in the press.
5: (laughs) 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 When Arnold Schwarzenegger and Jean-Claude Van Damme had questions about their (laughs) (laughs) accents.
3: That's when you know you should chill out. (laughs) <laughs> One of their biggest promotional tours in 1989 was the MTV Club Tour, hosted by Downtown Julie Brown. The tour featured Millie Vanilli, Paula Abdul, Tone Loc, and Information Society. The label and management jumped at this offer since Millie Vanilli could hide, kind of, in this group. You know, so without a need to sell all the tickets themselves, the duo could avoid many opportunities for them to say anything at all. <laughs> so meet and greets, radio station promos, and retail store appearances would give way to simply performing their live show. For audiences. So here's the it's Club MTV Live Tour commercial. Let's check it out.
2: <laughs> the <Patinkan> Village group. <laughs> That'll be great. They won't say anything. Yeah, they can this just look entire- cute live club club tour. MTV in your town club MTV live the tour hitting the road with Paula Abdul ah. Loke, information society was not was Lisa Lisa and cult jam and Millie Vanilli performances plus videos live interviews and who knows you may wind up on stage oh tune in the club
4: every weekday at 4 3 central to see when the action hits your town
1: hi, hi. we are Millie Vanilli. join us on club MTV the tour this summer uh, oh, oh <laughs> no this is so bad
4: oh no <laughs>
5: they like can't speak english
4: yeah oh no <laughs> oh
5: man that's like uh that's like when arnold schwarzenegger got brought over here but like the first like three or four movies you know like hercules yeah. in new york where they just they're like dude we have to just re- he was not, not gonna just say have, anything you just be- yeah you're yeah we're just gonna redub you
3: Wow. Like, we're going to have
5: an American guy do all That's your parts very, and you just
3: flex. Man, were we as a people just dumber? That's very clearly obvious. I get, well, I we, mean, just did, I, we were more I, believing that, you know, people wouldn't do things like this.
5: But, and I, I don't think we knew how to place yeah. like a lot of these people. Like, we didn't have like a, the, you know, now like, interesting. now we just expect all of our like actors to be Europeans now. Mm. But I think this was like kind of new. Well, we're like, even downtown Julie Brown, what I felt was new. That was like the first. I was like, I didn't know they had black people in the UK. It was like, you know, yeah. seeing her, you know, it was like.
2: Loved me some downtown Julie Brown. It's such was, a crush on her. Oh, my was, God. I've heard gosh, of her. English accent. Oh, mm. stop.
5: And, and also Paula Abdul, remember? She was also. Paula, uh, of course. Had the ambiguity. Like, nobody knew what, like, w- what group she was part of. It, like, we were getting used to all this stuff back then, you know. Cause it was, you know, just like wasn't it?
2: Wasn't just like white guys. If yeah. Ariel doesn't know she was a born
3: yet. I don't know. I've just heard. It looks like it was a lot of fun, though. I, it does. Look... <laughs> 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 so this is a clip from the MTV Club Tour with Julie Brown introducing Millie Vanilli before their performance. What's wrong with your accents? We're
1: <laughs> lucky enough to grab them here and bring them down to Club MTV before. Well, before they got too big, really. Well, not in a nasty sense, it's just that they're very busy now. They're planning to go out on the road in 1990 to do their own tour and also a little bit of movie work. But we grabbed them when they were really, really hot. Back in June. Please, let's give a round of applause once again, like we did on that very special night when Millie Vanilli stopped by the studio at number 21, Girl You Know It's True, and this is how they did it.
2: Uh, the choreographed dancing is... It's everything.
5: Yeah. It's also the thing of, like, you know, that Germany, there are good dancers. Like, this is actually terrible choreography, even for the time. Like, right? like Yeah,
3: we were, we were dancing.
5: Oh, man, so bad.
3: Pants are tight, though. The dreads are dreading. They look good. Yeah, the look is... The good. look is look... Yeah, they go. look, good, they look real good.
5: But they can't they can't actually dance, either. That's, like, what's, like...
3: I have a feeling they're not on beat.
5: No, they're not like no, that's what I'm saying. They 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 actually can't dance and especially when you compare them to like you know, like MC Hammer is. Oh, he was
3: out here, period. yeah. Yeah.
5: <laughs> yeah. It's like Hammer has forty people on stage that are better than these guys dancing. Yikes. Or like Madonna or anybody's choreography. They're they're not they're not even particularly good singers. It's like yeah, it doesn't work. In America, it immediately arouses suspicions, I feel.
3: I mean Jennifer Lopez gets away with not singing. And, but I, at least she dances and she's pretty. So, she's an yeah, incredible she, dancer. Yeah, she's an incredible she dance. dancer. And her
2: voice isn't
3: like bad. No, it's I just actively not... to hate Jennifer Lopez. She cannot sing. She cannot sing. That woman is. Yeah. We should have a Fraudsters episode about Jennifer Lopez. Anyway. Really think so, it's that bad? Oh, it's that all bad. Right. And she Let's stole all her music from Ashanti and it was all Puff Daddy's fault. So, even if some people suspected wow. that something was amiss. She speaks English. Yeah, she does speak it's English, Spanish. so there is that. She doesn't speak Spanish. It's okay. So even if some people <laughs> suspected something was amiss, that we just lost all the Jennifer Lopez listeners also. Yeah. Um even if some people suspected something was amiss, that just wasn't as big of an issue as it would be now. And something was most definitely amiss, okay? So one incident in particular threatened to bring down the whole dang operation before it really got off the ground. So on July 21st, 1989, at a club MTV tour stop in Bristol, Connecticut, their playback device glitched and kept skipping to repeat, (laughs) Girl, you know it's, girl, you know it's, girl, you know it's, over and over and over again. The track glitch lives in all of our brains, and I'm sure you can recall this haunting repeat in your minds like it was yesterday. I pretty much just sang it for you, but we have the cliff.
2: It's not, it's, the, it's, it's, it's not going not into the Skrill- a running
3: man. Oh, God. Yeah.
2: It's not the Skrillex remix. It is a very uh, bad yeah. mistake.
5: Uh, yeah. And, and, and it's messed up because you try to, if you hope it only skips once, you can kind of play it off. But once it does it eight times, but then you've already, you know. It's just like, hey, if you're a younger listener, if you don't know what the the awkward level of this is, remember when Ashley Simpson was on uh, Saturday Night Live and her record skipped? Oh, yeah. Yeah.
3: That's so funny how that also ruined her career. And that's like, but people always lip sync on these shows.
2: Well, then they stopped after that. And like, I don't think anyone
3: did did playback after that. Well, because it truly ruined her career. Yeah. Well, Well,
5: she still dances in Ireland. She's
3: doing something. It's not great. We'll save all that discussion for next week, guys, when our two-part deep dive into Millie Vanilli continues. There's so much more. This is one of the better stories we've ever had. And I'll see you next time. I love Millie Vanilli. I love the story. I'm so excited. Ah!
2: Thanks everyone for listening to Fraudsters. Follow us on your favorite podcast platform. Check out the show notes for the show's social media links so you can follow us and see the resources we use for this episode. Fraudsters is hosted by me, Sina Gasnovi, Justin Williams, and Arioliety. Producer is Noreen Malik. Editor is Ryan Connor. Our writer is Nick Turner. Our researcher was Patrick Fisher. Music by Grant Gordon. Executive producer is me, Sina Gasnavy. This has been a production of Zero Cool and The Last Podcast Network. <music>